We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in the first 11 verses. Walking through this book, one of Paul's first letters, laying down some real basic Christianity. Paul writes and he says, the Word of God, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light. Children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. But God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. And therefore, let us encourage one another and build one another up just as You are doing. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we have gathered this morning to Your presence. You have called us and we have come. We have come to give ourselves afresh to You in worship, to hear afresh Your words spoken into our hearts and into our lives. We have come to be shaped and molded and made more like Jesus. Father, we pray today in the preaching of Your Word, it would not simply be information, but that You would be reshaping the way that we think about ourselves in Your world, that You would recapture our hearts and our passion, and that You would change us. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, this is the judgment. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. This is the verdict. Light has come. People loved darkness. Right? That is a powerful image. This image that Jesus brings forth and that the apostles pick up on and pull forth this image and contrast between lovers of darkness and lovers of the light. I know Star Wars is not a Christian worldview and trying to venture out from Lord of the Rings a little bit. Um, so, but one of the things I love about both of those, the Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, one of the things that they are helpful for when we see these things, you know, we, we can pick apart and we should critically watch for the things that are not biblical and are not uh, um, <clears throat> you know, helpful to us, but there are things in them that sometimes good stories can help. And the betrayal in these stories of just that, the, the cosmic 
battle of light and darkness. Right? This cosmic battle, there is a good and there is evil. And they are both at work in the world. And there are men who love darkness. Women who choose darkness. And there are those who choose light. You follow in that second Star Wars trilogy, you follow Anakin Skywalker. It chronicles his struggle with darker passions. And it chronicles his journey from Anakin Skywalker, Jedi, to Darth Vader, Sith. He experiences loss and he experiences these feelings that begin to overwhelm him. He overcome by hate. He hungers for power. He hungers for control. He starts to be controlled by his pride. He resists authority. He doesn't want to be mastered. He doesn't want to have... He wants to have more power for himself in this self-centered pride. The light and the darkness battling for his soul. And where he is ultimately lost to the darkness. Men... This is the verdict. There is light that has come, but men loved darkness instead of light. This passage paints a very similar picture as you read through it. This, this imagery that, that is brought forth, it picks up on Jesus' statements. You are not in darkness. You are children of the light and of the day. You are, we are not of the night and of darkness. Don't let them sleep like others do. Stay awake and sober because those who sleep, sleep at night. But we are not of the night. We are of the day. There is this cosmic thing going on. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who are asleep in the darkness and there are people who wake and are sober in the light. This cosmic, it should capture our imaginations. Imagination is a good thing. Because we don't just imagine things that aren't real. You can imagine unicorns. I understand you can imagine things that aren't real. But the best use of the imagination is imagining those things that are real. And so much of what the, the Scripture paints for us is, is, is not always visible to our eyes or present. You know, faith is, is hoping for what we do not see. And though we don't see it, we can imagine the truth of those things. And in fact, it is only as those truths capture our imagination that we can live right in this world. That we see with the the mind's eye and understand light and darkness. The Lord of light who has come. Colossians 1.13 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And He has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. I imagine it. Being delivered from that domain of darkness and being now established as a, as a Son in the Kingdom of Light and the Son of God. And it captures, in a sense, our sort of understanding of ourselves in the world. You know, Paul, as he is writing here, he has been describing in the end of chapter 4 the second coming of Christ. The one event, the one Glorious unfolding of the heavens and gathering of the saints of God as Jesus returns. And as He moves into chapter 5 here, the first couple of verses, He he turns to considering the time of those very events. He said, I've been talking about these things that are going to happen. This is how it's going to go down. The Lord's going to descend. There's going to be a shout of the archangel summoning the dead to life. The, 
the, uh, and, and, and announcing His coming, the voice of command, Jesus returning. And He says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you don't have to be, have anything written to you because you guys are fully aware of that day coming like a thief in the night. In other words, He says, there's no need for anyone to write to you, first of all, because nobody knows when that day is. So it wouldn't, do, it wouldn't be helpful. Right? Jesus says that. We don't know the exact day. So it wouldn't be helpful for me to write to you. And besides, you know, you guys know He's going to come like a thief in the night. He's going to come in a sense unannounced. He will, like labor pangs coming on a woman sometimes, or when they start, they start. You know, when it, when it comes, it comes. When it happens, it happens. And He says, all of you know that the day of the Lord is like this. It comes as a thief in the night and it surprises a lost world. Verse 3, he says, people are going to be saying, peace, peace, peace and security. And there will be a sudden destruction. Peace and security. See, the world thinks it's got things under the control. It thinks it's, it's mastering things, you know, with science and technology. You know, it thinks it's, you know, it's smarter than God at this point and it's figuring out its modern, you know, morality. You know, we are almost evolving as human beings. It thinks it's got it under control and we're moving forward. And there's this false sense of security in the world because the world is full of itself. Matthew and Jesus in, in Matthew's Gospel 24, verses 36 to 39, Jesus says concerning that day and hour, nobody knows. Not even the angels of heaven, not the Son, only the Father. For as it was in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Lord, the Son of Man. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Right? They were saying peace and security. They were unaware until the flood came and it swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So will be His coming. In the days of Noah, there was a false sense of security. It's a lot like now. They were marrying and giving in marriage. They were eating and drinking. They were going. In other words, it was business as usual. And they had no inkling that the Lord was coming. That the Lord Jesus would return, will return, is going to return any time. So they were eating and drinking until the day Noah entered the ark. And we need to note that while the world around them is taken by surprise, the world, it was a sudden destruction upon them, but not on Noah. Noah was not in darkness. Noah made preparation. That's what he says in verse 4, but you are not in darkness, brothers. That that day should surprise you. Shouldn't surprise you like a thief. You know. You are in the light. In the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You are in the light of the knowledge of these things that He has told us and warned us about. You are not in darkness. You know it's coming. You are prepared. Which is why Matthew 24, as he talks about as it was in the day of Noah, and he says, you know, two... Two are grinding, one is taken and one stays. And he ends that whole passage saying, therefore, stay awake. This is the application. It's the application of Matthew 24. It's going to be in the end, the application of our text. Therefore, stay awake. Stay awake. Because you don't know when the day of the Lord will come upon us. There's a real sense that the children of the night 
who have chosen the dark side are asleep. Right? It says they sleep at night and that's one of the things. They're in darkness. They're in the night. And, and that idea, that image of being uh, asleep is being spiritually and morally oblivious. Living entirely natural, carnal lives, going about their own sensual pleasure, just doing what they want to do, not giving any acknowledgement to God. Although they knew the Creator, they suppressed the truth and did not acknowledge Him. And they went about their own business. There's a moral and spiritual sleep that is upon them. And He says in verse 7 that those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, are drunk at night. This image of drunkenness. I believe it's a larger picture. They sleep. When we sleep, we are oblivious to reality. When we are drunk, we are out of touch with reality. We don't know what is going on. We're oblivious to the moral fabric of the universe. So to say that these guys, these folks who live, who've chosen darkness, are morally and spiritually oblivious to the moral fabric of the universe. That there is, there is a, a, the way, there's a right and a wrong way that things, there is a moral fabric that God has woven into creation and there is an accountability to that fabric that one day we will stand. The Lord is coming. They're saying peace and security and judgment is looming on the horizon. They're not watching. They are not ready. And it will come suddenly. Second Peter 3, Peter writes and he says, the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away, be rolled back like a scroll with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and its works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what, and that's the question, what sort of people what sort of lives? What sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting, even hastening the day of the coming of our God? Right? These images that he uses, people are asleep and in the night, they are in darkness and they are in drunkenness, they are in a moral and spiritual stupor, they are unaware of the real fabric of reality and morality and spirituality and truth. It's a kind of blindness. They can't see the real shape of things. But the day is coming and that's the whole point of this. That what they do under the cover of darkness, everyone who hates the light, everyone who does wicked things, hates the light, does not come into the light lest his works be exposed. But the whole point of that day is everything will be exposed. And whatever is done under the cover of darkness, Jesus says in the Gospels again and again, will be exposed. We will be exposed. And so He says, verse 3, it will be a sudden destruction that comes upon them. Or in verse 9, as He speaks of those who are destined for wrath. In the dark side, there's an allure. You see it, and it's chronicled in Anakin's movement to the dark side and, and giving himself up to, giving himself over to that darkness. There's an allure. There's a kind of freedom on that side. 
right? There's a kind of power and self-gratification that's on that side. There's a freedom to give license to your negative emotions and passions. And you're, in some sense, allowed to do whatever you want. There aren't any restraints. You can be full of yourself and pride and dog-eat-dog and indulgence. And this, there is, there's a, an allure to that side. Proverbs 14.12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, is the way of death. But you, he says in verse 4, you are not in darkness. You are not in darkness, brothers and sisters. Lovers of Christ have a different nature. Lovers of the light, their hearts are different. Right? We learn to hate sin. We learn to hate those things that are contrary to God. There is, he says, I will take your heart of stone, your heart of darkness, your heart that slumbers. I will give you a heart of flesh that beats in the day, that beats for life and light. And so in verse 5, he says, we, you are all children of light. You guys are children of the day. When he says you're children of light, we know First John tells us, John tells us that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. And when he says you, brothers and sisters, are children of the light, you are children of God. Right? And so you are born of Him. The seed that gives us light. The seed of the Spirit is a Holy Spirit. A Spirit of light and life. And so... We are children then of God. Jesus says in John 8.12, I am the light of the world. I'm the King of light. The Lord of light. The God who is light. I come into the world. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. What is Jesus, I came into the world. I am the Lord of light. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness. But He will have the light of life. It reminds me of that Colossians passage. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has delivered us from, from walking in those ways and in that place into His kingdom. Jesus calls us. John, 1 John again, who says God is light. And then He says this, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, And we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. Right? If we follow Jesus, and that's you know, what this <clears throat> means to walk in the light as He is in the light. To follow Jesus means to follow Jesus. It's not to believe certain things about Jesus. You know, it's not to simply say certain things about Jesus. He says it's to walk in the light as He is in the light. That is to follow Him out of darkness into the light. And that means obedience. It means the very shape of our hearts and our lives. It means these things capturing our imaginations that we should walk in the world as Jesus did. Philippians 2, I love that passage. He says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, children of the light. The God who is light without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the Word of life. See this cosmic imagery that you would shine forth. <clears throat> you who are lovers of Christ. 
right, lovers of life, that you would shine forth in the world, in the darkness. That where you are, where you live, and where you work, and where you play, that you are a speck of light in the darkness, holding fast to the Word of life, walking in the light, even as He is in the light, that it might shine in and through us in some way. Brothers and sisters, he says, verse 4, we are not in darkness. Verse 5, we are not of the night. Verse 6, we are not asleep. We are not drunk. He says, be sober. Because we're not in darkness, we will not be surprised when that day comes and the Lord returns. It will not sneak up on us. We will be prepared. Why? Because we're praying for it. We're looking towards it. We're not oblivious to it. We're praying, come Lord Jesus, in Your power and in Your glory. Let Your light so you know, fill the earth in darkness. Where does darkness go when the light is turned on? Where does it go? Right? It's consumed. It's just gone. Come Lord Jesus. We long for the day when there are no more tears and no more suffering. No more sickness and no more sin. Come, we're praying for it. We're waiting for it. We're setting our hope upon it. We're setting our hearts on it. Living our whole lives for that day. It will not come and take us unawares. We live fully in the face of it. And in fact, everything we do between now and that day is defined by that day, casting its light back on our lives so that we would live toward it. The applications of this text are just so, so obvious. You know, when he says not drunk, I believe that stands for all overindulgence. You know, drunkenness is drinking too much. It's not drinking beer or wine. It's drinking too much. Right? But that goes for not being drunk, not being sated, not being, you know, um, in a stupor over so overindulged in any of the world's goods. I think we can be in a stupor eating too much, gambling too much, shopping too much, loving the stuff of the world too much. In other words, overindulgence in the world makes us dull and stupid to spiritual things. We're not awake to that day. We are, you know, we're we're absorbed. We're not sober clear-minded about what really matters, about what we really should be giving ourselves to and living for into that day. And so these applications is be sober, be clear-headed, watching and waiting. It's how Jesus ends in Matthew 24 as He tells that whole thing as it was in the day of Noah and two are you know, grinding, one is taken and one is swept away. And by the way, you know, reading that text, actually, because a lot of times that's read into the whole rapture thing and the Chapter 4 that we talked about. And actually in there, the one who is taken is the one taken in judgment. At least if you follow the, the text, he says, as it was in the day of Noah, so it will be in the day that Jesus returns. And then he says, two will be grinding and one will be taken. But in Noah's day, the ones who were swept away right? Noah got in the ark and it said, in the days of Noah... Those who were not prepared were the ones taken and swept away in judgment. And so the one that remains, in fact the word that says uh, the one is taken and the other remains, it says the other is loosed or the other is forgiven. So the one who stays in many ways is, is the one. Some of them may be the best thing in the world to be left behind. 
Because the one who is left is let loose, is, is, is forgiven. And those who are taken are swept away in judgment. Anyway, go read it and see, see what you think. But the whole point is, as he finishes all that, he says, therefore, here is the application. Stay awake. Because you do not know when that day is coming. And so our job in so many ways is to stay awake. Stay clear-headed about that day. So that that day defines everything. It's the same in the end of Matthew 25. He goes, if you know Matthew 24, and you know how that flows, and at the end of Matthew 24 where he does that whole thing with the... And then 25, he starts telling parables about it. And the first parable in Matthew 25 is a parable of the ten virgins. And everybody knows some of the virgins were ready and some of them weren't. Some of them kept their fire going, had the resources and thought ahead to that day and had extra and was ready and they had their fire was burning when the day, when the time came. And those who were caught, not prepared. And so Jesus at the end of that parable says this, watch therefore, for you know not the day or the hour. It's the same application over and over again. Stay awake. Watch. immediately tells the parable of the ten talents. You might say, well, what does it mean then to stay awake and watch? As if I think we ought to be able to dig that down. But he immediately goes from that parable into the parable of the, ten, of the five talents. The parable of the talents. Right? So how then, what does it look like for us to be awake and waiting in a sense? Because waiting is not passive. It's not, Noah was waiting... Right? As it was in the days of Noah. But Noah didn't sit around doing nothing. He made preparations. That's what He was waiting for that day to come, but he was busy about the Lord's business. He was busy doing what the Lord told him to do till the very day. Right? And that's what the parable of the, the talents tells us. Following on this, therefore wait and be awake and pay attention. Then he gives the parable of the talents. How, you know, it's a parable of how to spend your life investing all that God has given us in His kingdom so on the day that He comes, we will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were about my business. And all that I invested in you, you invested in me and my kingdom. Awake and sober, waiting and watching. Not being spiritually dull. Not letting the world dull us to the realities. The armor in verse 8 reminds us that it will be a battle. Since we belong to the day, we should be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet. The helmet for, of salvation, right? It protects the vital organs, right? It's very specific armor. The breastplate of faith and love that over the heart, the heart and the mind. The battle, the battle is for the heart and the mind. Your affections, the way you think, what captures your imagination, what you love and your affections and determine what you do with your life and your resources. And so the battle is for the heart and mind. And so we have a breastplate and a helmet which is the hope of that salvation that keep us awake and alert. There is a battle. As the hour come, Romans 13, to 14 Paul writes and he says this, you know, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. 
For salvation is nearer now than it was when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, the breastplate and the helmet, and let us walk properly as in the daytime. See all that imagery again? But here is the question for us. Has the hour come for us to wake up? Are we awake? Are we fully awake? Has these things captured our imagination and so shaped our lives and our choices that on that day we would not be taken unawares? That we would be prepared having looked and prayed and waited and longed for it? Ephesians 5.14, Paul writes again and says, Awake, O sleeper. Awake, O you who are asleep and arise from the dead and Christ shall shine upon you. A light that will illumine the dark corners and allow us to put aside the deeds of darkness and walk toward that day boldly and longingly. He says, so that whether we live or die, whether we wake or sleep, verse 10, we might live with Him. To live is Christ and to die is gain. So we need to keep each other awake. He ends it saying, therefore encourage each other and build one another up. That's the Lord's business that we're about. Building each other up and encouraging one another. Helping each other to stay awake to that day, alive unto God in Christ and living and working. It's in Hebrews. My small group has been all year working our way through Hebrews. We just did this last time in Hebrews 10. He says, or a few times ago, he says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting meeting together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see that day coming. Right? Put it in that context. All the more. So what should we be doing as that day draws near, as we live in, in, in the hope of it, in that thing, what should we be doing? He says, do not neglect meeting together, being together. You are a community. You know, you need to encourage one another and stir one another up. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to be together. Keep each other awake and alive and alert and sober and laboring for that day. Life of community. Amen. Are we about the Master's business? Have you grown sleepy, drowsy, dull? Are you awake and alive to that day? Revelation, he says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word that is living and true. And even as we have read these things, it is... So easy to read them and to go about our business as if nothing was different. I pray, Father, that this morning You would have mercy on Your people. Let Your Spirit come in such power that, that our imaginations would be captured with this spiritual reality. That the world is in love with darkness. And we are tempted to love and to walk in and to practice those things. Father, would You come and shine forth Your light in the darkest corners of our souls. Would You come and fill us afresh with Your Spirit who is the Spirit of light that, that burns away the darkness, the sin that so easily besets. All of those things that are in us that are not of You. All of those things that hold us back and keep us down. 
Oh, come and fan to flame that light that was within us that we might live with passion toward that day. Preparing and prepared to stand before You and welcome You with open arms. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.